This episode of Hello PhD is sponsored by Promega and listeners like you. Thanks for your support. The only function that the GRE was was having in graduate education was excluding uh, certain people from graduate school. Welcome to Hello PhD, a podcast for scientists and the people who love them. This week, we catch you up on the latest news about the GRE and whether it's required on your grad school application. Stay with us. And we're back. This is Hello PhD, episode 198. I'm Joshua Hall. I'm Daniel Arneman. And we'll discuss the human side of science and life in the lab. Dan, it is the change of the season and some changes for Hello PhD. Want to talk about it? I do, yeah. We're always changing things up, thinking about the format. And one thing I'd like to try, Josh, is to deliver some very tight single subject episodes. I know that uh, a lot of times we will cover a broad range of topics. Maybe we'll do a mailbag and it'll have five different themes going on. Uh, But I think what would be nice is to focus on one single subject, do a kind of a shorter episode in a timely manner. And that's something that you can share with your colleagues or lab mates. And you won't have to explain why these two jokers are drinking beer for the first 10 minutes of each episode. So with that, I'm introducing what I'm calling just the abstract. Uh, Two things. First, Dan, there are plenty of papers that I have only read the abstract, just the abstract. I think we have all done that. That's how you know you don't need to read a full paper is just the abstract. And now you don't have to listen to the whole Hello PhD episode anymore. <laughs> well, and, and I think it's going to be for certain subjects. So today we're going to talk about the GRE, um, but feel free to write in and say, hey, I have questions about this other subject. I'd really just like a, a short explainer on it, and we will do our best to cover those topics. But uh, today it'll be on the GRE, Josh. That sounds great. So you're saying I don't get to drink beer while I record the show anymore. You are free to drink it. You just can't tell us about it. Oh, good. Well, I'm actually uh, doing that right now, but I won't mention it. Before we roll into that, I do want to thank our sponsors. Uh, if you are using live cells in your research, you know it's pivotal to understanding in vivo mechanisms and conditions. Cell line authentication is key to success and reproducibility in science. You can learn about proper cell culture techniques and answer questions like, should I be using a 2D or 3D culture system by visiting promega.com slash hello cells. All right, Dan, let's get on with our topic of the week. All right, Josh, uh, today's question or topic idea actually came from uh, one of the places where I like to troll around and read what grad students are up to, and that is the uh, Reddit, the subreddit, Our Grad School. And today the question was, I'm currently at a point where I'm applying to PhD programs in behavioral neuroscience, brain and cognitive psychology, and similar fields. Most, if not all, of the programs I'm interested in have the GRE as optional. But I'm a bit wary to say it, I won't take it all together because I don't know if it will ding my chances of getting in. Any insight and honest thoughts or opinions would be greatly appreciated. So, Josh, you know, we haven't covered the GRE in a long time, but longtime listeners of the show will know that it has been a theme for years that you advocated for removing the GRE as one of the requirements and features in graduate school admissions. And so I thought we'd take a quick look back about where this started and where we are now and 
Is it true that you just don't have to take the GRE anymore if you want to apply to a specifically a biomedical PhD program? Yeah, I'm glad this topic came up, and and that's what piqued our interest to talk about it on the show. Um, the GRE is certainly something we have talked about through the years, especially as you mentioned, Dan my own interests and even my own research involving the GRE um, really since the time we started the show. feels like a long time ago, but not that long ago. It was a long time ago. It was probably (laughs) 2016 or 17, right? I guess it was a long time ago. But I thought, Dan, before we answer this question, uh, just give it a little bit of of recent history on the use of the GRE in grad school. You know, if we were to look at the history of graduate admissions in the United States over the last 50 years, the GRE would have been part of it for at least the last 45. And only in the last five years has there been a lot of movement by programs away from the GRE. And I don't have it in front of me, Dan. We should link some of the, our previous episodes about the, the GRE, but... But I would say it was about about five years ago. Uh, one of the things that, that I became interested in, I was running a program for post-baccalaureates who were interested in applying for grad school. And, and also, I was fortunate that my office was a graduate education office. So we had all this data about graduate admissions and how grad students did during grad school. So what, what myself and some of my colleagues at UNC Chapel Hill decided to do was see if any of these aspects of the grad school application actually predicted how well students would do in grad school. And, and what we found, Dan, was that a number of things on the application were not very predictive of how well students actually did. And most notably, and what got the most attention, were GRE scores. GRE scores were especially bad at predicting who would do well and who would not do well in grad school. So said another way, having a bad GRE score did not necessarily mean you were not going to do well in grad school. And conversely, having a really great GRE score did not necessarily mean you were going to do well in grad school. So we weren't the only ones doing this. Around that time, uh, some of our colleagues at Vanderbilt, uh, the University of Massachusetts Amherst, were doing their own independent studies. And everyone was independently finding the same thing, that the GRE was not good at all at telling us anything about how well an individual would do in a biomedical PhD program. And as scientists, we would expect that if you give me some data that uh, invalidates my hypothesis, I would quickly accept that and we'd move on to new theories, right? Turns out that's not true at all. I could remember the very first time presenting these data in front of faculty from our own admissions committees, and you would have thought, Dan, that I was reporting that the sky was green or that snow was boiling hot. Uh, They just stared at me. (laughs) And, you know, I kind of understand it, Dan. You know, anytime any of us as humans are confronted with new information that contradicts our, our way of viewing the world we tend to really scrutinize this new information, not necessarily scrutinize our way, <laughs> the way we've been viewing the right. world. And, and you know, like I'd said, the GRE had been an important part of graduate admissions for decades. And so it was kind of a big mental hurdle to get over to think, wait a second, this tool that we've been utilizing <laughs> so much in these decisions, you're telling me that that was at fault, like that was actually uh, not telling us what we thought it was. But as more data was as more data was coming out from multiple places, um, you know, it started changing the minds of some admissions committees. And and notably, um, soon after that, a couple of programs, uh, including the University of Michigan, that has a big biomedical PhD program. 
they very publicly examined their own use of the GRE for their own programs, and they had town hall meetings and had lots of conversation. They looked at our data and other people's data, and they ended up uh, very publicly dropping the, the GRE, and they were the first kind of major biomedical program to do so. And then from there, a few other prog- a handful of other programs followed suit. And, and one of the things, Dan, I would uh, <laughs> probably credit myself more for this, what became known as the Grexit movement, uh, of having just as much impact to the research. But as I mentioned, I was, I was working with these post-bac students who were applying to grad school. And what I decided to do as a tool to help them in their own grad school applications was create this Google Sheet of all the biomedical PhD programs that were dropping the GRE. And at that time, I think it was seven or eight programs. And I very innocently, Dan, published it on the social media platform, formerly known as Twitter at the time. (laughs) X.com. And Dan, that took off like wildfire. Um, and that it was shared broadly. It was retweeted. It was quote tweeted. It was shared with programs across the country. And uh, you know, fortunately or or unfortunately, I don't know if, how you want to view it. I think that peer pressure of other programs uh, dropping the GRE became some writing on the wall that hey, you know, if we keep requiring the GRE all these potential applicants are going to go elsewhere. Why are they going to pay $200 (laughs) to take this test uh, for our program, whereas they don't have to do it for these other programs? And so I think that paired with the growing volumes of data um, pointing to the fact that GRE was was not a good indicator of, of student outcomes in the program, led to a groundswell of change. And you know, I, I can report, Dan, that as of today, I think there are over 300 programs on my Google Sheet. And to be honest, every now and then a new person will email me with a new school to add. But I've kind of stopped adding schools because at this point, it's pretty much all of them. Um, in fact, Dan, I did want to point out to our listeners, we'll post this in the show notes. So Science Careers wrote an article in 2019 examining this this Grexit movement, as it, as it was termed. Um, and they did a follow-up just last year in 2022. And one thing they did that I thought was great is they actually collected a little bit of data uh, from science PhD programs and their use of how their use of the GRE changed over time. Um, and like I said, we'll post a link to this. But in many disciplines, the percentage of programs not requiring the GRE was a hundred or very close to a hundred in molecular biology, neuroscience, chemistry. Um, even physics, computer science, and psychology were starting to approach 100%, compared to, in some cases, um, the most extreme being geology. In 2018, all geology programs required the GRE. In 2022, none of them did, at least none of the ones surveyed. So uh, really a groundswell, and while a lot of the data started in biomedical PhD programs, um, this quickly led to uh, disciplines outside of biomedical and actually outside of science in general, um, examining their own practices. Um, and at this point, Dan, I know at least at my own university at the time, um, even our College of Arts and Sciences, uh, many of the humanities and professional programs uh, began dropping their own reliance on standardized testing. In most cases, the GRE. I mean, a huge change in just a few short years, uh, which I think is magnificent and amazing. But I, I want to make sure that we all understand that the reason the GRE is not predictive is because the types of things it tests 
are not the types of things that make you successful in grad school. Can you just put a, a point on that, Josh, for us about why it was not a good predictor of whether you'd be successful? Sure, Dan. I think anyone who has encountered the GRE recently or remembers their own experience taking the GRE, um, you know, maybe you can remember uh, you go into this uh, computer lab and you take this timed test and there will be some some verbal sections where you're doing some vocabulary. Maybe you're reading a paragraph or two, and you've got the multiple choice trying to select the uh, you know trying to select the right answer choice for reading comprehension. Um, or you're doing these antonyms or the vocabulary for these words Love that you've really you've never seen before in your entire life. <laughs> and then Dan, there's this math section that's made up of mostly math that you probably learned in high school, algebra, geometry, some, some basic math. Um, but, but it's kind of mixed together in these ways to make it purposefully tricky. So, you know, even the answer choices themselves are made to capture the most common mistakes that people might make when solving a problem like that. Um, and so, you know, that could be well and good as a fun puzzle to solve. Um, but, but what was actually happening is is this test was having real consequences as far as who had access to graduate education um, and who did not. So basically, if, if I can pay for pe- test prep, I'm going to do better on the GRE than if I can't pay for test prep. That's fair to say? That's right. It is a type of test. And Dan, I, I spent a lot of time teaching GRE prep to my students. And certainly it was the type of test you could study for, you could practice, um, you could learn the the content, the ways to approach the types of questions you might encounter and do better, which is great uh, if for the goal of doing well on that test. But again, it's not necessarily great if that test is being used um, as a gatekeeper of sorts for who has access to graduate education. And it's worth noting that um, in the sciences, at least, having a graduate degree is really a requisite for leadership in science. So if you really pull back or really distill it down, you could say the GRE was having a gatekeeping effect on who could be a leader in science. And and that's especially important if we remind uh, everyone about what we were talking about at the beginning is the growing body of research indicated this test was in no way predictive of how well students actually did in graduate school. So if that's true, then the only function that the GRE was was having in graduate education was excluding uh, certain people from graduate school. And it turned out, Dan, that even ETS, the, the purveyor of the GRE, their own data indicated that um, individuals from groups that are historically underrepresented in science, women, tend to score lower on the test. So effectively, this test was acting as a barrier for whole groups of people um, without actually having a beneficial effect of selecting who would do well in the programs. And I think it's worth pointing out that we're not asking admission committees to make decisions in a vacuum without information. But what is happening, and, and I think what is valuable, is that they are putting more weight and recognizing the value of prior research experience. And I think we've talked about this quite a bit on the show, that your letters of recommendation, your research experiences, are so much more valuable than your GRE score ever could be, and that admissions committees are finding ways to incorporate some of those research experiences into their decision-making when they're not sort of blinded by the ability to filter out on a single score. That's totally right, Dan. And and beyond those important metrics, 
you know, your personal statement where you talk about why you want to go to a specific program or what experiences you've had that have led you to pursue that graduate program. Your transcript, including which includes a lot more information, it, while it is numerical, there's a lot more nuanced information found on your transcript than a GRE score. So it's not just about the grades you had, but the coursework that you've had gives some insight into uh, the exposure to certain topics uh, prior to coming to grad school. And so I think there was some concern at the beginning from admissions committees who had utilized the GRE as one of their selection criteria that, well, if you take this away, are we going to still have enough information to make decisions on who to admit to our program? And I can tell you, Dan, the the answer has been a resounding yes. Uh, I was a director of admissions during this transition, including uh, several years after. And Dan, there were no reports from, from faculty on our admissions committees or from other programs that I'm familiar with um, who said, you know what, we can't, we don't feel we can effectively evaluate these applications without the score. There's still plenty of other information there. And if anything, taking that red herring of the GRE score out of the picture allowed admissions committees to more holistically um, assess the information that probably is a better indicator of an applicant's background and experience. Josh, are you comfortable? Do you sleep well at night knowing that if another pandemic or something like that were to arise, that our top scientists cannot solve antonyms or three, four, five triangles? Like, that's on you now. <laughs> I will tell you, Dan, through all of my years of teaching GRE prep, I am very good now at solving three, four, <laughs> five <sure> triangles. <laughs> it, I'm better now than I ever was in high school geometry. Amazing. So. Well, we'll call on you if we need you, Josh. But Dan, why don't we, uh, let's go back to this question. Yes, let's please. I was about to say the same thing. Let's get back to the question, which is uh, the, the person who wrote this question still has this background fear. Yes, they say it's optional, but are they quietly judging me for not submitting it or maybe hopefully not spending the whatever amount of money it is to take the test? Uh, is that really going to be a negative impact on that application process? Well, the short answer is no. Uh, GRE optional um, today truly means optional. And in fact, in a lot of cases, um, what you will see is programs that, that say GRE optional could very well be programs that have more recently moved away from the GRE. And so I think for some programs, there was this security blanket of instead of cold turkey just dropping it, <laughs> having this GRE optional phase was a little more palatable at first. Um, but I can tell you this, Dan, um, you know, our own program, we were GRE optional for about a year or so. But what actually happens is when you go GRE optional, you quickly find that your ability to actually utilize those scores in any meaningful way, um, even if you think they mean something, which again, there's overwhelming volumes of research that say they don't, but your ability to utilize those scores kind of goes out the window because let's say you're applicant A and you submitted a GRE score. Well, the admissions process in and of itself is sort of a competitive process. It's a comparative process. There are this many spots uh, there are this many applications we got. We have to compare them and decide who to let in. And so if you have a data, a certain type of data point for application A, but not for BCD, it becomes very difficult to utilize that, that GRE score in a meaningful way. The person asking this question mentioned uh, cognitive psychology and behavioral neuroscience. 
um, you know, in this science careers article from 2022, um, psychology was one of the disciplines mentioned that had a near 90%, 90% of programs not requiring the GRE in that field. I did my own cursory Google search of it. Um, I, as a side note, Dan, I recently enabled the Google's AI assisted search. So when I searched for cognitive psychology PhDs and GRE, uh, it gave me this nice, uh, this nicely worded sentence that told me the percentage of psychology doctoral programs that require GRE scores has decreased since the pandemic. And then it listed off several that don't require it at all. So <laughs> who knows whether it hallucinated that, Josh, but it's great, <laughs> great intel. But I think I think with the science careers article, you can be fairly certain that in something like psychology, it is not just the trend, the plurality of schools, the majority of schools don't require it, and they have figured out a way to do admissions without it. If you are in a program like math or history or a PhD program that is not on this list, you may want to understand what the proportion of programs requiring the GRE is because they may have different criteria for admissions than one of these research science careers. And Dan, uh, if I may, I want to say something a little bit controversial, perhaps. Do it, Josh. Who's stopping you? Some advice that I've given students that that I have counseled over the last few years during this transition, um, especially during this period where um, many of the schools, um, many really great schools, some of the, the the most uh, well-known programs had gone away for the, from the GRE, um, but a few were sort of holding on to it, whether that was on an optional basis or still requiring it. I might put out there that the type of program that is clinging to a metric like the GRE in the face of all of this evidence to the contrary, that it's not that it's not a useful measure um, that can tend to correlate with programs that also aren't very progressive in how they view graduate professional development, how they view uh, really graduate education in general. You know, it's kind of an indicator that they maybe cling to the old ways, <laughs> you know, it might be a red of, flag. Yeah. In spite of evidence for better, more modern ways to approach graduate education. And I think that can start with how programs select students can tell you a lot about how programs treat students once they're in the program. So again, I'm not calling out any specific programs here. Um, I'm just saying in my experience and in my opinion, I think that could be a red flag. Okay, Josh. And I had one last kind of back of the mind question that I want to make sure we address. Some of the commenters in the Reddit thread pointed out that, uh, if if you have a lower GPA, they felt that having a good GRE score could help overcome some of that grade point average uh, that maybe wasn't so good. And so is there a situation where you want to submit a GRE score to help out your application as opposed to just avoiding it if it's not going to do anything for you? I mean, I think back in the day, that was certainly true. You know, when the, the GRE was ubiquitous, that often a strong GRE score could potentially help an applicant overcome a low GPA. I do want to, again, remind people that having a high GRE score, though, does not actually, based on the research, does not tell an admissions committee that that student is necessarily going to be a strong PhD student just because they did well on that GRE test. And so, functionally, yes, that was a consequence back in the day, but you know, is it going to be today? Maybe or maybe not. Because again, in any given applicant pool, 
there may be a very small percentage of applicants who are actually submitting the GRE. And also, you know, I think the unfortunate thing is for you to know that you're going to have a high GRE score in the first place, you're going to have to pay the $200. <laughs> take time. True. You probably want to study, right? I guess if you're going to go to that trouble, you're going to want to take time away from, maybe you're in, in undergrad now, you're going to want to take time away from actually focusing on the actual content and coursework and knowledge that's useful for the program you're, you're striving towards uh, to study for that GRE to actually take the test, see how you do, and then decide if you're going to submit it. And maybe it'll help you. You don't even know, right? Um, so I don't know, Dan. That feels like it's a, a gamble lot of work. that maybe may not be worth taking. <laughs> yeah, that's that's my opinion. But you know, if you if there's a very specific program, because I guarantee you, if you're interested in psychology or some other science, as the the data shows uh, for psychology, as an example, nine programs out of ten don't require it, right? So you can probably find five programs that are really great that don't require it at all and you're not going to have to worry about. But if there is a program that's a top choice for you based on its location or the specific faculty that are there, I mean, the best way to know is to ask, is to contact someone in that program, um, contact an administrator or a, a director of that program and just ask them the question and hopefully they'll give you, you know, give you a straight answer. Um, and, you know, they might say, yeah, you know what, we have it listed as optional, but but really, we don't consider it all that much. Because what I would actually really hate, and I know this happens for some programs listed as optional, in practice, the score doesn't carry much weight one way or the other. So I would hate for you to spend the time and the money and the energy to take it and to submit, and you pay more money to send it, when even whether you do well or not well, it's not really considered uh, as part of your application. So if you're just dead set on a certain program and you really feel like you want to take the GRE or you need to, I would at least contact someone at the program and take their word for it, not mine. I love it. And I think save that $200 for something else that a uh, incoming graduate student might need $200 for. So our, our too long, just read the abstract summary is if it says optional, it probably means just don't do it at all. All right, Josh. Well, that was our inaugural episode of Just the Abstract. We'll see how many more of these we do. Um, I do want to take a moment just at the end here to acknowledge the um, trauma, the tragedy that happened on UNC's campus, our alma mater. Uh, it was, I think, a, a few days ago, a graduate student shot and killed the uh, PI of the lab, and we don't know almost anything about it. It locked down the school and the surrounding community for half a day, I would say, maybe a little bit longer. Um, no real information has been given about the motive, but I think uh, just hearing about it, reading about it, unfortunately, knowing it was a graduate student and a PI that were involved, it kind of touches on this community. So we just want uh, students listening, uh, postdocs, faculty members, to be aware of some mental health resources that are available. There are suicide and crisis lifelines. You can dial 988 uh, to get help with something like that. Uh, and again, if we learn more about this or there is a story that we can uncover or something that we can understand and help the community to understand, we will do that. But as of this moment, it's just uh, pain and loss. And so we're thinking of the students that went through this and, and the people that were even nearby or at other universities that feel this traumatically because, uh, you know, it doesn't just stay in one lab in one location. That's right, Dan. Our hearts go out to the, the family of the, the victim and all those those impacted in this, Dan. 
All right. Thanks to everyone for listening. If you have a topic idea that you'd like for us to discuss on a future show, you can email us, podcast at hellophd.com, or send us a tweet or X at HelloPhD. If you'd like to support the show, uh, the best thing you can do is share it with a friend, a lab mate, or your department listserv. We reach new listeners entirely by word of mouth, so we need your help. If you'd like, you can become a patron. Simply go to our website, hellophd.com, click the Become a Patron button, or visit patreon.com slash hellophd. We'd appreciate the beer money, and thanks to the ongoing support from all of our patrons. Dan, I can't wait to find out what we talk about next. <laughs> all right, Joshua. I hope you enjoyed your beer that you weren't allowed to talk about, and uh, after I turn off the recording, you can tell me how good it was. Can't wait. All right, we'll see you next time.